I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with OpenReach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable, full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash ni. Hello and welcome to the latest Ulster Rugby Roundup. We're all in something of a state of flux as the Ulster and Ireland games we should be discussing have been called off due to the coronavirus outbreak. Add into that a few illnesses floating about the podcast personalities and we're back to the phone line. First up, I'll talk to Jonathan Bradley to get an up-to-date overview of the virus impact on the sport and then Adam McHenry will join me to discuss the thrilling Schools Cup semi-finals at Kingspan Stadium earlier this week as Royal School Armagh and Wallace High School reached the final. So without further ado, let's pick up the phone to a certain Mr Bradley. So Jonathan, you join us from, well not quite, your sickbed, you're, you're feeling a little bit better? Proven, so I'll be uh, I'll be back to work tomorrow. So good, and just where I I you, definitely wasn't coronavirus. Hundred percent not coronavirus. Just an ill-timed uh, an ill-timed other virus that everyone just took <laughs> to assume that I had coronavirus. Good, I, I had a, a list made of things to watch on Netflix whenever I was self-isolating for the next two weeks. But there we go. I'll have to come back and work. The coronavirus, as we say, is wreaking havoc with rugby across Europe. Just before we come in and record this, the news broke that. Munster and Connets games against Benetton and Zebra uh, on March 21st and March 28th have both been postponed. Obviously, that's on top of the Ulster game at Benetton that was already postponed. So, first of all, with the Pro 14 and with Ulster season, where are we with this? How, how bad is it? We've now essentially had three rounds of Italian fixtures postponed to two that we had today, plus the previous one which involved Ulster. And there are three... European weekends left, which the Italian teams are not involved in. This problem arises if, and we alluded to this before, if they can't play games at the next available weekend after what they're postponed up to, then you don't have enough games. Or so you don't have enough weeks for the games, they're going to be left for the Italian teams. So you don't see it then as being a matter of deciding which to play. Possibly the only thing they could do would be decide which ones have the most bearing on the table table most ramifications for the playoff races but obviously all of Benetton's have um, implications for Conference B and decide which to play or go down the route of them all being deemed nillage draws which certainly would not be ideal for Ulster (laughs) it wouldn't be ideal but it wouldn't be a disaster either like you know they could lose in Treviso or they might win I can't see them getting five points not many teams do get five points in Treviso the problem for Ulster is really if games elsewhere start to get called off, primarily their own game, their home games, I suppose. While we see it as a problem in Northern Italy at the minute, it's a problem for the league rather than too much of a problem for Ulster because the mm-hmm. most that they're going to lose is two points. And the more pessimistic our fans are, you could tell you that they might actually gain two points. You know, Teresa is a difficult enough place to go. Yeah. Okay, uh, where are we then in terms of it becoming uh, uh, an even more major issue then in terms of uh, games elsewhere? Ulster next in action at home to Dragons on Friday the 20th as yet. Of course, there's no indication that there's going to be any issues with that. But uh, will Ulster Rugby be sort of, I suppose they'll just be keeping an eye on things at this stage? Yeah, everyone see, every sport seems to be being guided by the individual government and we've had the government 
Thierry came out and speak yesterday, I believe it was, about, um, I suppose, the precautions and plans that they're taking place, but not um, really anything of that scale just yet, because oh, I think all oh, one of the cases here have come, have been contracted by people who have gone to, to Northern Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think, you know, it's not anything that's going to be as widespread as that here yet. It's a very, very fluid situation. Nobody's coming here, obviously, for their coronavirus news. If things develop, obviously, then that picture could change. The disaster overall for the Pro 14 is if they can't play any of the Italian games. Now, Ulster do have another game coming up. Now, that's in, in May, admittedly. Mm-hmm. But if you project two months forward and they can't play Zebra, they would have been they would be expecting five points from that. Mm-hmm. So again, if that's two points, you know, because that is two points, then you're losing three points from what you would have expected and that could have a bear in the playoffs. A case of wait and see at the moment then for, for Ulster Rugby. What have the players been doing in the meantime? Obviously, they were expecting a week or two downtime, but they, they ended up getting a week extra with, with no game last weekend. What have they been up to? Last week, I think, probably felt a bit like when school gets cancelled for them, you know. I think a few <laughs> of them were uh, riding a bike, but it's been uh, it's been business this week. Even though, as you said, they're not going to game for a while, they're having, to, they're having to keep sharp because there's, there's a lot of players when you consider that they had three weeks off before their last two-week uh, block of games. They're basically having to keep taking over because otherwise you're getting dangerously close to pre-season territory with the amount of the amount of time they've had off. You know, mm-hmm. the most to get off um, consecutively is four weeks, mm-hmm. and that's in the summer. It'd be a real danger of losing your sharpness. So they've been uh, they've been bagging, bagging training and um, even down in uh, down in Abbotston in Dublin today training against the Ireland team. Which um, I suppose if you're looking to maintain a bit of sharpness, there's uh, there's no harm in that. Sure, it was a competitive enough session for a few of the players that thought they should have been getting a bit more Irish recognition. Yeah, it would have been uh, would have been interesting one to, to be out to get a look at. Yeah, I don't know if uh, the ten minutes of vision access would have been uh, <laughs> no. anything still anything more than stretching. But there you go. Yeah. Uh, so what about the Six Nations? Obviously, the Pro Fourteen and uh, a bit of diffs over the whole thing. The Six Nations, possibly even more so. Ireland's game against Italy, obviously called off. Uh, this weekend coming now we know the following weekend England aren't going to play Italy in Rome but the Six Nations organisers have said today that they're intent on playing all 15 games how realistic is that at this stage? Well it's realistic in the sense that people start to lose millions of pounds if they don't <laughs> which always heightens people's resolve I find otherwise we'd have just played these games behind closed doors and got the championships yeah. done with from I suppose the competition's point of view the best thing that can possibly happen is that France beat Scotland this weekend and then go on and beat Ireland the weekend after that game against Ireland is obviously very much TBD as it stands mm-hmm. I think last weekend you know France brought in this um, French government brought in a policy of no gatherings of more than 5,000 people which everyone naturally assumed was um, the writing was on the wall for that game but as it turns out it's um, <laughs> 5,000 people in an enclosed space, which apparently rugby stadiums don't count as, because <laughs> with the exception of Rassings, they're open air. Yeah. Now, okay. quite high the Paris Marathon didn't count as an open air event. It's all very typically French, so we're, <laughs> not, uh, we're not particularly sure. The bottom line is that at the minute, the game is still going ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
now the government may step in at some stage and decide that 82,000 people in one place isn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. And presumably whatever happens with that will set something of a precedent for Ulster's European game in Toulouse then? Well see they've still been playing top 14 rugby last weekend. At the minute it doesn't tally that the European Cup would be affected too much. Now you can make the argument obviously that it would involve tra more travelling fans from outside the country than obviously a top 14 match would but Ulster playing to lose and much like um, in Italy the outbreak of the coronavirus the pockets of it where it's most concentrated um, certainly one of them is around Paris so it doesn't seem to be as far down south as Ulster would be for Toulouse but everything's very um, very much in flux at the minute when you're talking about rearranging the games it's very hard to know I think there's a greater possibility of England Italy being played earlier mm. than there is certainly Ireland Italy just because of the situation with the Aviva Stadium and the Euro 2020 Championships which could well leave you going until October which obviously from an Ulster Pro 14 European Cup standpoint would be a bit of a disaster especially if there ended up being two games to play if you throw the French game into that as well because mm. you're talking about players because again it's all about money so you're not going to cancel a November international in order to fit in a Six Nations fixture it's going to be you're going to play them on a Pro 14 weekend which could well mean players being pulled out of European action Okay, which obviously would be uh, a bit of a disaster considering that uh, Ulster's opponents in Europe potentially would, would be going in at full strength when Ulster aren't yeah well unless you uh, unless you're lucky enough to throw a penalty on that given weekend but the, even still there's no you know it probably wouldn't be the same because we don't see players pulled from club duty anywhere with the same amount of um, regularity as we do mm. uh, do in Ireland but you know if you're playing a game in October then either side of it is going to be a European game mm. essentially because yeah. <laughs> unless it's you know the other alternative would be staging it on a European weekend well, that would certainly be interesting. So, look, rugby, of course, isn't the, the main point of all this, but it certainly is having an impact on the sport and, as you say, one that is very much in flux right now. But thank you very much for bringing us up to date with it, Jonathan, and um, people can keep a little eye on the Belfast Telegraph newspaper and website um, for all the latest coronavirus updates, rugby and otherwise. Jonathan, thank you very much. On to the Schools Cup then, and it was, of course, semi-final week as two provincial schools made it through to the decider. Let's speak then to Adam McKendry, who was at Kingspan Stadium for both games. So, Adam, hello, and thank you very much for joining us. Nice to hear from you guys. As always, and you too, Adam. So, uh, you were at both Schools Cup semi-finals this week, as Royal School Armagh and Wallace High School made it a Belfast free final for the first time since 1994. Well, that probably seems like a shock to the casual observer. In terms of this season's actual squads, probably not as uh, as big a surprise as you'd think, with uh, Armagh beating Inst uh, and Wallace beating Methody, but the two country schools were fancied for those, weren't they? Well, for, forget the casual observer being surprised by the first final of New Belfast schools since 1994. I didn't even realise that until I went to do my research, so it's yeah. a surprise for me as much as anybody else. Yeah, I mean, going into the semi-finals, you certainly thought that either Armagh or Wallace could get three, if not both. And certainly in the first semi-final, it looked for a long stage like Armagh weren't going to fulfil that promise. But yeah, I mean, going into the two games... You certainly looked at the squads and you thought that 
Armagh could provide the shock and Wallace have been favourites since practically the start of the season so yeah. uh, I remember chatting to Willie Falloon at the launch and he said he thought a few of uh, a few of the guys in his squad could cause a bit of a shock but I didn't think he meant they could reach the finals so delighted to see that you know the country schools are providing these great players you know for the Belfast schools to have such a monopoly on the final for so long that it's been 26 years since we had a final without mm-hmm. a Belfast school in it it just goes to show First of all, how good the Belfast schools are at bringing through talent, but second of all, how long it's been for two country schools to be the top two sides in mm-hmm. Ulster. And I think it's great that we're at this stage where yeah. both Armagh and Wallace have provided squads that can compete at the top level. I think it's great to have those two teams in the final, especially you know Wallace, my old stamping ground. I, I can't go <laughs> a whole podcast without saying that I, I am an ex-Wallace man, so... I, I might be a tad biased, but we'll, we'll, we'll breeze past that, sure. We'll let you away with it. Uh, sure, Johnny does it every time he talks about Malone, anyway. Um, let's first of all deal with, before we get on to Wallace, Armaz's uh, comeback 29-22 win over Inst. As you said, it looked for a long while like Inst were going to make the final. In fact, there were 17 points clear with 25 minutes to go. So talk us through then those ridiculous 25 minutes when, when Armagh came from 17 points down to win by seven. I'm going to give Armagh massive credit because chatting to Willie Falloon afterwards, he said that he didn't believe they could come back. I think the majority of Armagh fans probably thought they weren't going to come back. It was a funny quote from Willie when he said, I had given up, but thank goodness the boys hadn't. Whenever your coach says that he doesn't think you're going to come back, that's generally the indication that the game's dead and buried. But we're sitting in the media and we're saying this game's dead and buried. And, you know, in the media, whenever you're writing a match report to go on the full-time whistle, you've usually got your intro written at times Mm. like this whenever a team's 17 points down in the second half. But all credit to Arma. I don't know what they said under the posts after uh, after Ennis ran in their second try after the restart. But they came out and they kept playing and they got their reward whenever Ennis went down to 14 men. They made the most of it by scoring two tries. And then, of course, as soon as the guy comes back, they just keep riding that momentum. And Josh King goes over for what turns out to be the game-winning try. And I just thought that shows a lot of maturity from a team. Arma have been there and they've done that. They've, they've got the Kingspan Stadium experience, which I think a lot of people don't realise how important that is. You know, we, we saw them. We'll talk about the second semi-final in a second. But, you know, there, there are players on both teams, on all four teams, that, you know, would have never played at Kingspan Stadium before and they probably would have had a bit of stars-in-their-eyes kind of experience. But Arma have that experience of having played in three semi-finals in the last four years so mm-hmm. this is a team that knows how to play in, in the big games and they really showed that by grabbing the bill by the horns and coming back and I think just by, by the time Ents got back to their full complement I think they were just rocked back on their heels and Armand took full advantage and all credit to them because they really played some spectacular stuff whenever they had to you just wonder you know if they had managed to play like that for the entire time what, what the game might have been like because in the quarterfinal against Balamina they played so well into the wind in the first half and they uh, they got up I think it was 17-0 and then it was almost like they switched off in the second half because they thought the hard work was done and Balamina almost came back to, to snatch it so if Armagh can produce a 70 minute performance rather yeah. than having these 
unbelievable stretches and those points where they switch off, they could arguably be the favourites for the final because Mm -hmm. that's a really dangerous side that they've got there, but they've just got to be switched on for the 70 minutes and that's probably their their biggest flaw at the Mm -hmm. moment. They really need to have that mental strength to be able to go for the full 70 minutes, which I'm sure we'll see from them in the final. Mm -hmm. Obviously, biggest game of the season, you're hardly going to go in there anything but fired up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. And to be fair to them, I was at the, the last 16 match against Campbell and it, it was one of those games that was impacted by the wind, as you say, the, the, the quarterfinal was as well, with Armagh playing right into the teeth of the wind in the first half. But they were playing into that wind and they went in at half-time up. So like I would say, like they didn't score a whole rack of points or anything, but and it was very much defensively because the wind was that strong blowing straight down the pits that day that they literally they could just about kick the ball outside their own twenty two into that wind. Um and they actually managed to score a try and went in something like five, three ahead, I think, at half time, and then absolutely ran away with it in the second half to win what was it, thirty four six. So like that performance that day was absolutely crazy. And I was glad then come Tuesday because for the first what was it, like forty five minutes, you're sort of thinking Cheaperish Arma are going out. They haven't even showed what was the biggest crowd, the game being live streamed and everything. They haven't actually showed people what I've seen them do in that, that uh, last sixteen match. So to actually get those final twenty five minutes where they got the ball into the hands of the backs and let rip and now well, now everybody knows exactly exactly what what they can do. Who was uh, particularly impressive for you then, um, for Arma? First of all, the, the most impressive thing I want to say is that final try. I thought that final try was absolutely superb, but it never should have happened because mm-hmm. you know whenever you're playing in the seventieth minute and you're leading, you just drive it up through the forwards and then you kick it out. <laughs> but Arma decided they were going to play and they scored possibly the best try I've seen by a schools team at. At Kingspan Stadium, you know, some really good interplay uh, eventually leads to James Allen going over. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really, really impressed by uh, by their ability to, to turn that on. Yeah, so for, from an Armagh perspective, I thought Hooker and Captain Sam Rainey, I thought he led from the front. I thought he was spectacular mm-hmm. with some of his breakdown work. He carried superbly. And even whenever Armagh weren't making some fantastic yards at points, but he was really good. Um, I thought the lock pairing were really strong. I thought Jason Denley, I thought even though he didn't get on the score sheet like Nicholas Bothwell did, I thought he was really good around the park. That back back row trio of James Agnew, Josh King, Ryan Finley. Finley's a great ball carrier. And then Ethan McIntarsney. At, at fullback for yeah. Arma, every time he got the ball, you just thought he could do something special with it. So, um, from their side, I thought those guys were really good. On the inside, I thought Jude Postlewaite was really unlucky to be on the losing side. I thought he yeah. had an outstanding game. He had some really good touches, especially in that purple patch just after the second half, or just after the after the interval in the second half. And I thought he, he's going to be a really good player going mm-hmm. forward um, I've heard rumours that he's going to be going to Queen's next year so okay. if you can imagine him playing All-Ireland League Rugby I think he's going to slot in there really mm-hmm. nicely um, I thought Paddy Eames was good in their back row I've got to give a lot of credit to Inst- I thought they gave a really good showing of themselves and it was just whenever yeah. they went down to 14 men they just couldn't stem the tide um, mm-hmm. it's one of those ones where if, if the yellow card hadn't come maybe the game's completely different but uh, mm-hmm. I, I think they can hold their heads high even, even though they didn't get the result. Yeah. I, I think 
uh, I think they give a really good account of themselves. Mm-hmm, absolutely, it's it's a real shame in ter- like uh, entertainment wise and uh, from a, a neutral spectator point of view, it was absolutely unbelievable. One of the, the best games of rugby you're probably likely to see. Um, but as I suppose, especially at schools level, it's you do want to see a game effectively not being lost but being so badly impacted by a player receiving a yellow card like all i could think about after the game on that night was just how bad i felt for the ends player who got the yellow card who is probably never going to forget that and will maybe feel like he's cost his team there yeah i then didn't name him in my report either because it was like you know what i just feel so sorry for this guy it's one thing if it happens in professional sport but in in school sport it's just like ah oh, it's so sad it's extremely tough and i i really do sympathize with these guys because schools rugby is so short it's not like a professional career where you'll maybe have 10 12 years top level and if you do something very early in your career you can make up for it several years down the line you know in schools rugby you get two maybe three shots at the schools cup and that's it you know that that's all the time you have before you then leave school so whenever you get your opportunity you have to take it and it is very tough whenever something like this happens but unfortunately you know i i can't disagree with the yellow card and um it is such a shame that it it has happened in in a game like this and look it, it doesn't make him a bad player not at all it's just one of those ones where wrong place at the wrong time and unfortunately it's happened yeah what was the yellow card actually actually given for for people who didn't didn't see it. It, was, it was a cynical offence near the line. Armagh had really come back strong after they conceded that second try and they were right up at the line. And I, I think it was uh, the guy went in off his feet, mm-hmm. uh, which was the actual penalty at the time. Um, but it was just how close it was to the line. The yeah. fact that Armagh had all the momentum that the referee gave the yellow card. Yeah, and like all, the, all the blame certainly shouldn't be, be placed at, at his door either because... Uh, his teammates um, totally capitulated whenever whenever he went off, really. But oh, look, we've, we've watched Ulster all season. Ulster are kings at not being able to score whenever teams are down to 14 men. So, you know, a yellow card doesn't automatically mean yeah. teams are going to concede points. If, if a team's good enough, they will be able to hold their opposition out, even though they've got 14 men. And on this occasion, it just proved that Armagh had too much in the tank for mm-hmm. friends to handle whenever they were down a man. And that gave them the, the momentum that then let them go on and yeah. win the game so like, it's a, you win as a team and you lose as a team I think mm-hmm. that's the most important thing that you always have to remember no matter what sport it is individuals don't lose your games just because someone did something in a game well why didn't the team do better at doing something else earlier in the game or later in the game that would have won it mm-hmm. you know yeah. one, one individual point doesn't Lose you and hopefully he can use that uh, experience to spur on plenty of, of better days in his rugby career going forward. Quality-wise then, uh, in terms of the, the Armagh match, and presumably while I wasn't at the, the Wallace match a day later, but quality-wise was just seemed phenomenal for, for schoolboy rugby. You know, it's funny, both games were very similar in that the first half in both games never really kicked into gear. You know, Armagh did a lot of attacking in the first half of, of their game with no reward. And Methody did a lot of attacking in the second semi-final in the first half with no reward. And it was very surprising how similar those two games were in, in terms of how they played out in the first half. And for a long time, you thought this is just going to be one of those games where one team is going to be doing a lot of the attacking, but they just can't find a way through. And then all of a sudden, in both second halves, both games sparked into action. 
And I mean, the, the Armagh game in terms of the comeback from Armagh and going on to win the game and Wallace having to then hold out Methody for the latter part of the second half in their game, the quality was outstanding. You know, in terms of grandstand finishes, those were two cracking semi-finals. They're two of the better ones I can remember in recent memory and to have them so soon after each other is uh, incredible as well. So I, I really enjoyed them in terms of the quality on show, in terms of how close the games were, and certainly in terms of how they all left everything on the pitch. Like, the fact that both uh, Arma and Wallace at full time, practically everyone, you know, just sank to their knees and were celebrating, that just showed how much they put into the game, and I'm really looking forward to the final. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Wallace then. They beat Methody 22-17 in the end, although a couple of late tries for Methody, it was maybe a little more routine than the score suggests. Would that be right? Yeah, I would say there were five points in it in the end, but to be perfectly honest, I think Wallace had this one pretty much won by the time they got their yellow card. I know Methody got two tries while Wallace were down to 14 men, so again, it, it sort of makes the scoreline look a lot closer, but Wallace just took complete control of this game with two bits of individual brilliance in the first half from centre duo Ben Carson and Jack Dillon who I thought were outstanding during the game. You, you talk about Postlewaite for uh, Ince having a great game on the Tuesday. I thought Carson and Dylan mm-hmm. between them were phenomenal in terms of getting, first of all, their two tries and then also their uh, their general performances were very good. Mm-hmm. Wallace, I think, were just clinical when they needed to be. Yeah. They didn't dominate the game in terms of possession they didn't dominate it in terms of territory they just got scores when they needed as i said they held out methody for long periods in that first half their defense was superb like but for pinching in just a wee bit narrow whenever methody had their penalty advantage possibly methody don't score their crossfield kick try and we're talking about a completely different game because methody are potentially kept scoreless up up until the final few minutes so defensively I I thought Wallace were excellent and then just being so clinical you know Carson and Dylan get their tries out of nothing they then do a lot of defending to start the second half um, and out of nothing Jamie McNate makes a massive hit on Connor Spence to force a knock on at one end and at the other end some lovely backs movements puts McNate over in the corner and all of a sudden you know you've gone from what could have been a 17-10 17-10 game to a 22-5 game that just took it beyond Methody I thought yeah. Wallace did exactly what you need to do when you're playing knockout rugby and that's make the most of your chances in the red zone mm-hmm. and every time they got into the Methody 22 I think bar, bar a couple of instances every time they got into the Methody 22 they came away with points and that yeah. was the difference just making the most of your chances and see even if you have an off day if you still have that ability to just be completely clinical and take your chances, you automatically have that advantage over anybody else, yeah. particularly in knockout rugby. So what about Nathan Duke? He scored seven or eight points. I think we've obviously had a lot of talk about him in terms of his involvement, particularly in pre-season with the, the Ulster squad. How did he impress? Yeah, I mean, all, all the focus was naturally going to be on him, You know, the schoolboy who's already playing for Ulster A, and we, we've seen him before for the A team and we know how good he is and we've heard all the reports on how he could potentially be a superstar for Ulster if, if he continues his development and to be honest I think he's got a cracking pass on him like the fizz on his pass was 
superior to anybody else on the pitch and that that was evident every time he got the ball I think there were there were a few times he maybe tried to do it a bit too much by himself there were a couple times he carried and he got turned over but you can just see the presence that he has in that back line you know the ability to zip a pass skip out a couple of guys and get it to the wing really quickly um, he's always commanding his guys around them he, he sees the space he knows where he wants to take the play um, and the fact that he's equally adept at fly half or scrum half he gives Wallace a lot of options in that mm. back line you know, I thought Lewis Nelmez who started scrum half for Wallace was actually really good inside him I thought he had a cracking game possibly even better than what Nathan Doak had but you know you can put Doak at nine and then he's dictating play from the base of the base of the ruck like Ram Pienaar did with Ulster you put him at ten and you have that kicking option to his game so I just think he, he had a very good game in terms of directing the play for Wallace uh, and then you know just being able to kick his goals as well was an added bonus but uh, really good really good presence mm-hmm. I think what's what's probably more exciting is that he has a lot more to offer that wasn't yeah. his best game on Wednesday in, in the semi-final and I think he'd be one of the first ones to admit that so he's got a lot more to offer and he wasn't even that bad so that's a sign of how good Nathan Duke could be and it'll be really exciting to see how he handles that pressure in the final knowing that a lot of eyes are going to be on him because this will sort of be the first real test of where his game is in terms of could this guy be the next big success for Ulster and from their academy. So it's all set up for a smashing final really on 17th of March at Kingspan Stadium. We'll have live updates as we have of the semi-finals on that one on the website. So we'll look forward to that and Adam will be hearing from you again between now and then. So thank you very much. Not a problem Gareth, all the best. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with OpenReach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable, full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash ni.